0: We're in a series called Fault Lines, everybody say Fault lines. Fault lines, Fault Lines, and it's the idea that well, there's some places on our planet that we know about that are that are uh, dangerous places because there there's tension and a shifting going, and the plates, the tectonic plates that surround the planet, and then sometimes there's those kinds that just drift apart, they're pulling apart. Um, you you could research this if you want to. I don't have time, but there's there's some thought that if the world's here long enough, that Africa, there's a place in Africa where there's a, a fault line where it's drifting apart, and they said it'll it'll be like a no, whole other continent that'll shift off of Africa, because fault lines just do that thing. And in our lives, in marriages, in family, in relationships, well, sometimes we have built on fault lines, and we have to be careful because it may seem like they're just little tremor, tremors, and we have these little incidents every so often, but one day, it could be cataclysmic. And so, I'm just going to say this this morning this series is all about you and your life and your family and your marriage and your relationships and let's dig into this. We're be in Galatians 3 today. And I would say this that in this series I'm not trying to to you know retrain or correct culture. Cuz to be honest, they're not my congregation. I'm talking about outside of here. Now, I say this, you need to have a voice and you have a voice. And you can speak up, and you can, you can you know, vote with your dollars and the things that you do. There's all kinds of ways that you have a voice. But I'm just saying this, that as a pastor speaking to you this morning, I, I'm not here necessarily to correct that because that's not my congregation. But I am endeavoring to, in this series, to reset biblical, biblical family. The values of biblical family, of a godly marriage, because uh, God created these without mistakes or confusion. You he wasn't confused when he decided that we ought to marry. He wasn't confused when he decided that that there can be family and there should be family. And I hope to refresh us uh, because in the church sometimes I see the oppression of culture, right, and throughout the world, world history, culture, right, there's been many times where you see culture Pushing against the kingdom, and we're in a season like that in our nation where it's more pronounced than maybe it was 50 years ago. Doesn't mean it wasn't happening, right? Culture, worldly culture is always pushing against the kingdom. But you don't have to be. And I hope I can refresh you in understanding this: that you don't have to be under the under the un, oppression of the enemy, whether it's a, a conscious kind of thing or or, or subconsciously. Um, you don't have to be under that oppression from some evil attack. You can lift up your head, and you can embrace God's plan for your marriage and for your family, and you can live that out. Anybody with me say yes. So we'll read in Galatians chapter 3, uh, four verses here, beginning in verse 26. The word says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, some of your Bibles may say children of God, and that's good, too. I think sometimes when I think about how that that I'm the bride of Christ, right, we're the bride of Christ, that if I can do that, then, ladies, you can be a son of God as well, right? So we're children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I love that verse right there, that we come in and we put him on, right? We put our older brother on right? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, right? We're we're Abraham's family. We're the family of God. And I'm going to speak on a few different levels, and I'll try to address those as we do, but I want us to understand this. This is the title this morning. I think it's going to help somebody, is to understand this, that there is a fault line. I'm going to call it the right family fault line. It's when sometimes we look at our family and we think, well, these are all similar. You remember that game you play when you was a kid, or that they'd have you do that exercise where you got to pick one out of the four these are all the same, but this one doesn't match. And sometimes some of you have felt like, well, I don't match my family. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you felt that way. But sometimes you may have felt like you're so different and not similar. Or maybe there's been other things that have happened in your family. Maybe there's a wounded place in your life because of family. I love it. A great man said this. Uh, Henry Nguyen said, community is the place. Where the person you least want to live with always lives there. Families sometimes like that, right? You ever? You know, some stores, not every store, maybe, but some stores. If you go over, there'll be like a corner somewhere off, and 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 it'll it'll say something like uh, reduced or it's merchandise clothing that is greatly reduced prices. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You shop. You like. You went there. You're looking through, trying to find that gym that's been looked over. It's many times it's damaged goods. They don't put damaged goods, or it's slightly irregular. It's a warning. The sign when you see it that says that these are reduced prices. It's a warning that something has gone wrong. Right? That something has happened, and you may find a flaw in this. You may find a stain that won't come out, a zipper that won't zip, a button that won't butt, right? There's some kind of problem with this clothing. There's slight imperfections. There's They're messed up. And I would say this, that all of us are dropped into a family that is slightly irregular. Are you hear what I'm saying? That is marked by some imperfections that that something in some point has gone wrong and it kind of permeates the family. And I said this a few weeks ago, and I'll just say it again today, that all families are flawed families. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But let me help you. The family that you have, no matter how flawed it is, is the right family. It's the right family for you. And I think it's important that we understand that no matter the flaws that we see God put us in that family and uh, it's been I think two weeks ago I talked about the family of Jesus a little bit. Jesus was perfect but doesn't look like his family was. you know why families aren't perfect? Because human beings are trying to get together and anytime human beings try to get together in their own ability in the place they are, well it seems like it's a struggle sometimes. And a part of this is we've got to choose, We've got to choose the way that we're going to view our family. And I, I know this. I'm talking to some people. There's something, uh, no doubt, happened horrible in your family at some point, maybe to you, and I'm, I'm not overlooking the pain of that and what that was, but I also know that even in the midst of that, God, Romans 8, 28, says that God is causing all things to work together for the good of them that love him or are called according to his purpose. Even in the pain and the hurt and the trouble and, and, and the anguish, even through all of that, God is turning it around. Aren't you glad for that? I think some people could be given an entire field of roses and only see the thorn in it. Others could be given a single weed and only see the wildflower in it. Perception is a key component to gratitude, and gratitude is a key component to joy. How many know that? And if you're thankful for the family you've got, you'll find joy over the family that you have. And I know I'm speaking to some young people that maybe you're a teenager and you're going through some things where your parents are saying, you got to do it this way or you can't do that. And there's a struggle and you see other families and you think, why don't I have that family? It's because God put you in the family you're in so they could help to guide you to become the person that God desires for you to be. Anybody with me? Say yes. We didn't design family. We didn't, you know, it wasn't like we looked and said, okay, if you could put Let's put a man and a woman together, and then they'll have kids, and then we'll call it family. No, we didn't do that. God did that. In fact, in Genesis 1.28, after he created and made man and woman, he said this, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply what? Multiply. They were created in the image of God. Multiply my image throughout this planet. Right, that, that you raise up children and you 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 spend your time and invest in children so that they become a picture of His beautiful creation that isn't marred and scarred and messed up. Are you hearing me today? And so, families, well, they're important. How many know that? You you have you've got your name, your identity from family. I'm a Smith. I'm not a Verbeek. I'm not a barber. I'm not a Blanchette, I'm not a Carter, I'm not an Agresta, or a Klein, or Stovers, I like putting the S on it, or Rendon, or I'm a Smith, Pastor Richie, when I first came here, he said, now Pastor, do you want me to, you want to be called Pastor Tony or Pastor Smith, and I thought, well, I never thought about that, but Pastor Smith sounds kind of generic, I'll go with Tony. Pastor Smith, it's not like you can bring anybody to be that, right? You're who you are. I did a little bit of study on family tree, you know, and and when you do that, you kind of find something out, and you're like, oh, wow, I'm related to them, right? I I come from there. All my life, they said we're part Indian, Native American, you know, and I got my family tree, and, and no Indian anywhere on there. Barber even told me, yeah, you got that birthmark on the back of your head. That means you're Indian. I'm like, well, my DNA, either they're wrong or you're wrong, because it doesn't match up. And so, but but we get look, we find that out something out, like, well, I'm I'm you know, Choctaw or Cherokee or something. Well that's kind of yeah. Are or, or or you're from, you know, you're you're a descendant of Alexander the Great. You're like, yeah. Right? We we find identity in in family and and strong families, well, strong families, right, they're, they're the basis for strong communities. Someone said strong communities are the basis for strong states, and strong states are the basis for a strong nation. I would say this, that, that family is a microcosm. Microcosm, micro means small. Cosm from cosmos means world, right? A, a, a family is a, is a, a microcosm. All these families that gathered Elevation are a microcosm of us as a church. So if you have a lot of strong families, guess what you got? You got a strong church, right? So I'm preaching this to help you, but I'm also preaching to help us, right? Because we need strong families. And uh, the, the reality is in Exodus 14, um, 16, 18, I'm sorry, 14, 18 helps us uh, to see because here's what, here's what we do. We move through life, and as we're moving through life, well, we we notice this, that there's some families, it seems like generation after generation after generation, they just continue, at least by the world's uh, standards, to have success and achievement. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm pretty sure Peyton Manning's son's going to play football. You know what I'm talking about? Archie played, Manning played football, Peyton played, Eli played. They, They got a nephew playing, I think, somewhere right now, and... His son's probably going to and just generation after generation after generation. They, they they got some kind of DNA, some kind of gene. I don't know what all it is, but they may have just the connection. I don't know, but they got LeBron's son plays basketball. Well, that's not a shocker. We expect it, a guy that's that talented, right? And and you know people that have achieved this or that, and you look back, and, well, their dad did and their grandfather did. It looks like their kids are going to do it, and, and you see that. And then sometimes you see families where, well, it seems like they just struggle and stumble and try to get it right but but exodus says this that that up to the third and fourth generations uh, there's going to be the uh, product of decisions and sin that visit and don't get that don't let that get you down because the blood of Jesus let me help somebody the blood of Jesus is greater than a generational curse or generational sin on your life you hear me you say, well, well, it's always been this way in my family, but Jesus, are you with me? And, and, and take courage and understanding that in him you can experience freedom from something that seems like it's weighed on your family and on your on, uh, generation after generation you can get freedom. And I know sometimes we come to Jesus and we don't know all that, and then we continue to have some symptoms and, and uh, effects of that. Well, just go back to him and say, Jesus, I want to see this broken off of my life. I want to see this broken off of my life. And, and, and so then the other aspect, I want to lay down a little bit of foundation before we jump in today, is, is that uh, I use the word tribalism. You might jot it down, tribalism. Well, that can happen in families a lot of times. And we see it. Anybody ever read or see Romeo and Juliet? Right? It's the, the Capulets and the Montagues that there's like no, no touching between them, right? No interaction between them. Or if you're, if you're from Appalachian part of, of, well, we'll know this without being from there, but in the Appalachian hills and mountains, it was the Hatfields and McCoys that just seemed like uh, they just couldn't get along, right? Uh, it's almost like a Romeo, Juliet, hillbilly story, right? Just just, just just the way it plays out. Or in Scotland, it's the Campbells and the McDonalds. And, and wherever you're from, go back generations uh, beyond today. All of us came out of some tribe, some kind of form of tribalism, whether you're European or African or Asian or wherever, because that's the way the world has been, Native American, that's the way it's been um, for uh, uh, millennia, right, this idea. And and what happens is if we're not careful in the body of Christ, well, we'll start um, letting tribalism impact us. That's why Paul said, I love it, After we put on Christ, he said this, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. In Jesus, we are one. Right? You, may, you may be a different color than I am. You may have hair, I don't. Your eyes may be brown, mine aren't. You, you may be a different shape or size, or you may have a different backstory. You may be from somewhere far away, I'm from near. Where Whatever it is, in Jesus, when we come together, we are one. Doesn't matter what tribe you came from, what language you spoke in Him. We are one. And Paul's saying this, we are one big, should be happy family, right? One big happy family in Jesus. And if you understand this, that if God is our father and Jesus is our brother, and that's what the word tells us, we're joint heirs, then we can live in unity in the family of God. And we can relate to each other as brothers and sisters. And I grew up from a tradition where that's the way you dressed everybody in church. Like you get to a certain age, I remember when they started calling me Brother Tony. I was just Tony for a long time and then got brother added and sister so-and-so and brothers. And, and by the way, I kind of liked it. Sometimes when you're out and you refer to somebody as brother, they think you're a monk or something, I don't know. I, I get it in our culture today, that's, that's not typical. But what was behind that was we're family. And we're going to dress each other because we're family. And so I think it's so important that we understand that. But then how does that work exactly? How do you get to be a member of God's great family? Well, we know it's through the door of salvation. We understand that. But I want to drop three words on you this morning that are high level in relation to the family of God, but then also work out in our personal natural families. And so first word I want to give you is the word inheritance. Say with me one, two, three, in- inheritance inheritance, and I think it's important uh when we read because we know we know what inheritance is, you know like let me help you if if you got a call like if all of a sudden your phone would start vibrating because you got it on silence because you're in church and and you, you go out there and you you answer or you wait till after you wait till after church it's a better better choice you wait. You get out there and they left you a voicemail, unknown number from, you know, I don't know, Norway or something. And you listen to the voicemail, it says, please contact us immediately. We have good news for you. And you call. And when you call there, they said, Are you so-and-so? Yeah, yeah. Well, we just want to let you know that your great, great, great uncle Liechtenstein. I don't know. I don't know any good Norwegian names right now. Olaf. Died. And we're so sorry about that. Now, you didn't know. You didn't know you knew anybody in Norway, right? Your, fa- your, your family is, is from Mexico. You're like, I didn't know you had anybody in Norway. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, what in the world? We're so sorry they passed away. You didn't know anything about it. You never knew them. They were 108, lived a long life. Try to make it as good as I can. And they said they were a multi billionaire. They were worth 50 billion. And they left it all to you. You're like, well, anybody like happy about that? Somebody's like, well, I don't know if I'd want all that. I, you can give it to me, I'll take it. Because there's a whole lot of good things we can do with it, right? Money's just a vehicle, right? As long as you don't love it, right? It's just a vehicle. We'll take it. We'll all share it. Just, you, you can give us all, like, I don't know, half a billion. We'll, or we split it all whatever. If that's inheritance, and that's what you're like, yes, I like inheritance. Well, it says this in 2 Timothy 1, verse, or chapter 1, verse 5. Paul saying, I, I'm longing to see you. And he said, I'm calling to remember it's the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it's in you also. That's a beautiful passage right there. that, That there is an inheritance from being in a godly family. And if you're here today and you had a godly family, you know that there's stuff in your life simply because of the family you were in. Now, if you say, my family wasn't godly at all. They were thieves and robbers and all that. You've inherited something from the family of God as well. Anybody with me? Anybody testify to that? That you know, I didn't ha- didn't have a godly family, but since I've come to Jesus, there's so much that I've inherited from those that have went before me. And it's this idea of inheritance, and I want to want to flip that for us because we all get an inheritance in through through the faith we have in Christ. But I want to flip that a little bit and put it down on your level in your life, and and how are you leaving an inheritance? to the people in your family, whether it's children, grandchildren, it might be nieces and nephews, how are you making that happen? And and, and to provide a, a godly home, to provide a, a Christ-centered uh, centered marriage, a family that's focused on Jesus, to do that, well, it, it, it takes intention in the world we live in because it's not the norm. In fact, sometimes you may feel like a weirdo trying to live out biblical, families for your, uh, biblical values for your family. Anybody want to have a godly marriage? It may seem like you're some weirdo because normal has been flip-flop, uh, flip-flopped in our world, right? It, the idea that, that we call good evil and evil good has become a reality in our world. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, when the whole world is running toward a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. And I would say this, that sometimes you may feel that way, but just because you feel that way, hang on tight to this. Don't lose sight of what this means for your life. Because, as I said last week, attitude is a choice. And we make choices on a lot of things in our life. By the way, negativity is a choice. How many know that? Resentment is a choice. Revenge is a choice. As well as optimism is a choice. I mean, know that. Compassion is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. You choose to, to step into those uh, areas. Hard work is a choice. Because you could be looking at it and say, that's going to be hard to do. And so I'm going to choose to stay in the lazy boy instead of the hard work, right? Hard work's a choice. Discipline is a choice. I've, I've I've watched over the years, and sometimes I, I just admire guys in the military that are in the military, and, and, and they have all these set-up discipline. I, I call it force discipline, because from what I understand, and I've never served, I'm thankful for those that have, but what I understand is they tell you to go here, to do this, to, and you just have to do what they tell you, because that's the discipline that's being provided for you, and in the kingdom, we could do that, and it's been done like, okay, guys, I'm going to print out a good list of rules, and regulations, and here you go, and don't you ever get one of these wrong, right? Or in grace, what we experience is this, is that, well, there are some guidelines and guardrails and some parameters for our life, but it's not forced because discipline is a choice. God expects you to have self-discipline as he helps you with it, right? Right? And, and so discipline's a choice. Doing extra is a choice. How many know that? You ever had somebody do extra for you, and you're like, oh, thank you. And they made a choice to do that, right? They didn't have to. Excellence is a choice. Godly home is a choice. And we need to choose wisely. I love what it says in Deuteronomy 30, 30 verse 19. The Lord says, I set before you death, life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that both you and your family, you and your seed, may live. And so, doesn't mean it's always easy, but we work to provide a godly, Christ-centered home, to have a biblically-based marriage. Um, Anybody got a pet in here? Yeah. Okay. Anybody got a dog? Yeah. You're doing good. But you do this with your dog or cat, most of you. I think it's more common with a dog. You don't like open the door and say, "Hey, go ahead and have at it." You put your dog on a leash. I remember, I used, um, man, I had a German Shepherd a few years ago. Rev, he never ever got enough walking in. Like I'm like, just okay, man. We got we got to go. Come on, we got to go back home. He's still wanting to go. Still wanting to go. And you know, three times a day, walking him, and he never got tired of it, on a leash. Now I could have just opened the door and said, "Hey." Just go ahead, because I'm tired of walking you. Just run it. Go do what you want to do. But he may not have came back. Or he may have got hit by a car, because sometimes when we were together, I'd go out in the field and let him go sometime. He'd be running, looking at me, running, and, like, if there's somebody there, he'd just hit him. Right? Or he may have bit someone. And so to protect him, I set up boundaries in which, right, some guidelines, guardrails so that he could have life and have a good life if he stayed within those. God is not all about taking away fun from you or causing you just to have to live some miserable life. No, he wants to set up guardrails and parameters of your life so that you can do life and do it at a high level and achieve your purpose so that you don't run out there and get hit by some culture-related thing and get wiped out and never accomplish what God has for you to do. I remember the day I told my dad, I was young, I said, hey, it was a Sunday morning, I said, I don't think I'm going to go to church today. I'd hung out in my room, I didn't get ready or anything. And, and So I grew up when they laid your clothes out on Saturday night for Sunday because Sunday was so special that they wanted to make sure that you treated it. I mean, Sunday was an honored day. I still, last night, I had this all ready for Sunday. I mean, I, gotta, I can just go in and pick something. Most days, I just go pick something off the thing, put it on. But on Sunday, I get it all ready the, the night before. I just, because you know what? That's what I grew up in. I'm just saying. And, and so I remember I said, everybody was ready, and I kind of walked down the hallway, and he looked at me, and asked, like, asked me about why I wasn't ready. And I said, I think I'm going to stay home today. That wasn't the right thing to say. And he didn't kill me, but he did say, well, we're all going out to the car, and I'm going to start it, and you better be out there before I pull out of the driveway. And I ran in there. I don't know what I looked like when I came out, but I put the stuff on. It was laid out, and I got to church because, oh, I just want to show you this. That was a good parameter, right? That, that, was, that, that, that was a good guideline for me, and as a parent, I love my dad. I don't hate him because of that. I may have w- ventured off into some area and never ended up doing what God called me to do. If you say, well, it's just missing one service. I get it. But he just made it important enough that I didn't ever. I never one time said that again in my lifetime. I'm 56, and I've never said that till now. I mean, if I use this illustration for what I'm saying, I just don't say that. Well, I'm not going to stay home today and not go to church. I'm not even preaching about attendance, but you can have it for free. (laughs) Inheritance. Inheritance. I inherited some stuff. You need to make sure that you are providing an inheritance for those that are in your care. Secondly, association. So we see that word biblically, uh, inheritance, and then there's another one, and it's worded differently, but, but altogether it comes out. This is the word I'm using, association. And I think it's, it's it's beautiful when you see it in Mark chapter two. There's a man who can't walk. He needs healing, but he can't get to where Jesus at Jesus is in the house. Good day when Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. The crowd is there. Those they they, they get him there. There's no way to get him in. Too many people. They've carried him there. These friends of this man, four friends, have carried him there on his mat, on his bedroll. And now they can't get him into Jesus, and so they go up on the roof. Here's real faith when you're friends, and you need people around you that do this, and you need to be this kind of person to somebody. In fact, the question is, who are you intentionally connecting with? They begin to rip off the roof of the house where Jesus is at, and they lower down the bed. I don't know how I don't think I a pulley system. I don't know what they're doing. I kind of see hand over hand lowering this man. Jesus is up teaching. People are all around. He's teaching. I mean, Jesus, the ultimate teacher, is teaching. And all of a sudden, right in front of him, I kind of picture it this way. Here can you imagine Jesus is saying this, and all of a sudden, here comes in his sight line a bed with a man on it. Boom, boom. Now, now he's Jesus. He knew it was gonna happen. Right? But here it comes. And they lower it down, and you just wonder. You could have stopped and said, Who do you guys think you are? You messed up the roof and you're interrupting the meeting. But oh, that you have some people in your life that'll interrupt the flow of the natural and say, I got to get you to Jesus. And so they get him to Jesus, and his sins are forgiven. It's it's a two-for-one day. His sins are forgiven, and he's healed, and he gets up, and he's able to walk when he's not been able to do that. And it's all because of the association that he had with some friends in his life that helped to get him in the presence of Jesus. And we need people, and we need to be the kind of people that get people to Jesus. You remember Paul in uh, Silas in Acts 16? It says this in verse, uh, I read through 29 through 34. said, Then he called for a light. There's been an earthquake. Paul and Silas are in jail. And, and uh, they, they called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And it says, And he, he brought them out, the jailer, because all the prisoners are going, right? They, they, got, the, they got the opportunity to go. And God's rescued them with an the earthquake. And the guy said to them, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" Now I'm gonna stop right there for a minute, because when he asked that question, I don't know altogether what he's asking, because his life was on the line. Right? His his superiors they don't they don't want problems. Is so he just saying it in a natural manner, like, "What do I need to do to be saved?" I know some, or is he really saying? I know I'm not right with God and I need to be saved. And maybe he's saying both. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And he took them the same hour. Go on up a little bit. He took them the same hour. There we go. And washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Some Bibles say he and all his household. Oikos is, is the Greek word there. And, and just to understand this, that, that the people that were associated with this jailer, they weren't there in the jail. They didn't know about the earthquake. They didn't know about the doors being opened. They didn't know Paul and Silas. They hadn't maybe even heard the same words that he heard in that moment. They may not have asked the question, but because they were close to him, they got included. Isn't that awesome? I want to tell you, I've, got, I've been included in some good things. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's simply because of who I was walking with. I, I, I love it in my life that I've had, and, and all of us have, teachers and coaches and counselors and friends and neighbors and um, fellow co-workers. And, you know, I, I thought about a neighbor when I was growing up, Bill Samuel's a godly man. He's probably older than my grandparents'. And Bill, at Christmas time, he'd worked for a candy maker years ago, and he'd make us candy canes and all different kinds some peppermint, some sassafras, and all kinds of flavors, and bring them over. And then the other thing was, he's always building stuff. He had a workshop, and I'd go over. I was kind of Dennis a Menace kind of kid, and I'd just kind of go over, and I'd look up at it and ask a thousand questions What are you doing? Why are you doing that? How'd you make that do that? And he was so patient, and he—I sh- know how to do things that I—I I, I don't know how else I learned them. I learned them some other way, maybe, but I don't know how, simply because I stood there next to him and he'd show me. He said, "Now you try it." Right? Associate. associated with my life. I worked for a veterinarian. I did all kinds. I did all the lab work for. I was in high school. I did all the lab work which is kind of cool when you're in high school back there doing the centrifuge and looking stuff under the microscope. and Sometimes he'd let me do some surgical stuff. I don't know if that was kosher or not, but, but I learned a lot of stuff like that. But, you know, I don't do any of that now. But I did watch him as a man, the way he handled stuff, and he made an impartation on my life. Mr. G, my Latin teacher in high school, when I'm with young people, some of the things I do and the way I act is just the way he did it, not because I tried to copy it, because I watched that pattern, and it was so impactful on my life. I could give you, you know, Pastor David Gibson, he's been here and spoke, some of you know him, impacted my life. He's not blood family, not connected like that, simply impacted me. Rick Clendenin, who some of you have met, he's passed away a few years ago, but Tremendous man of God who just came alongside. There's things that we do in our church that were an impartation of Rick And And the question is, who are you intentionally connecting with to be that for? As a mature follower of Jesus, who are you coming alongside and saying, I just I just want to be your friend? I just want to be in your life. The last word is adoption. Everybody say adoption. Right. Now, there are a couple of ways I'm going to look at that. First of all, the adopting of children is so important. Church, if we're for life, if we believe in that the, the, the children are a gift from the Lord and that they're a reward uh, to us, then we should be about we shouldn't look at the world and say, well, why don't you take care of the kids? And we'll, You need to stop doing that and stop doing that. What if we said, you know what, we want to we take that on. I'm thankful. We've had many families connected at Elevation here that have adopted and fostered children. In fact, there's a couple right now that they're, they're moving through the process to, to do long-term foster care. And I would just say that pray about that and consider what can you do? And I know there are different stages and ages and all that stuff, and, but I'm talking about for those that are in a place where you could pray about it. And the other way I want to use this word is adopting someone as your own. I'm talking about mature Christ followers who say, you know what? I want to, I want to look at this person just as my very own family. Right, we're in the family of God. I, I want to treat them as though they were a son or daughter and make an investment into them. And sometimes you don't just say it like that, right? It starts by, by just making investments, and, 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 and investments sometimes is time. Here's what it says in the Word. And By the way, you can write this question out. Who are you adopting? Who are you adopting? Romans 8, verses 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Children of God, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's this picture that God does this for all of us. He takes us in as his own. He takes us in as, as his own, and he says, "This you're not going to have to serve me way over there, off somewhere, but you can come close to me." And when he says, "Abba, Father," that's like Papa, that's like Daddy. That that it's not some big eloquent speech that you have to give to you know, before him. No, come crawl up in my lap. You're, you're my own. You're my own. Thought about um, some of you know. Uh, our daughter, Samantha, is is adopted, and uh, she tells her story, and she does it better than I could tell it. And I'm not going to try to tell her story, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I know. Um, we get to, we we celebrate. And some of you are like, really? She's adopted? I'm like, yeah, I know. We get it all the time. She looks like us and acts like us and all that stuff. And we don't even think about it much until I do something like this. And then there's two days a year we celebrate outside of all the normal days. Her birthday is one she got a big one coming this year. You can talk to her about it. But By the way, there's no small birthdays. When you have one, celebrate, right? And the other one, her got you day. So when she came into our life, she was four years old, and um, it was a blast, It's a blast. But she's just hanging out with us. We didn't have any, there's nothing legal, nothing. And it was hard when they came and got her and took her away. Just because they wanted her back. And then in May 1996, we went to the court and they made it official. The legal part of it made it all official. I felt like it was already official before. And Samantha, every year we celebrate that day when she become, became ours didn't ha- I, mean, I will say this it, it, it was tough and a little painful that's what having a child by the way I, I, I'm not a am not a lady but ladies tell me it's tough and it's painful Men don't say much about it but if you adopt well there's it's, it's not always like oh just happens now I remember because this has happened in every child that's been adopted at some point in their life this will happen. They start wondering why they weren't wanted. They start thinking about why were they cast aside. And I remember the conversation when, when Sam was little and she was talking to me about that and crying. And I said, Sam, you know what? We chose you. I'm going to be cautious because I'm not, for those that have natural born ch- children, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but it's going to sound negative, so I'm going to I'm gonna preface it with that. I said, you know, all these other people have kids in a normal way. I said, they just get what they got. If they don't like that kid, they're stuck with it. I said, but we chose you. We knew who you were. We knew a bunch about you, and we chose you. I want to tell you, that's what God did with you. That's what God, because you know what? He knew who you were. He knew where you'd been. He knew what you had done. He knew what you didn't do. He He knew everything about you. And he said, you know what? I'm going to adopt you knowing that because I choose you. Oh, my. If you've ever felt like you didn't fit in, you fit in because God chose you. The sovereign of the universe said, yes, I want you. I want you as my own. You're going to be a joint heir with my son. You can call me Papa, right? You can call me Abba, Father. You're mine. In fact, the word says like this. You've been bought with a price. You think it wasn't painful for him to have you as his child? It was, but he still chose you. You're his. And maybe you're not getting a hug from your family, your natural family today. Maybe, maybe you're not maybe you don't have terms of where you feel like it's even family. Just know this you're a part of the family of God and God doesn't make any mistakes.